0: All right, there it is. It's happening. Hey, everybody, welcome to Bros Bibles and Beer. It is episode one ninety nine. Zach, how are you doing? Uh, we're one bro lighter. Uh, one bro lighter. And uh, Scott, how are you? I'll try to. I'll try to make up
1: for the weight we're missing.
0: Okay, we'll okay. have an extra beer or two. Oh. And we didn't get to ask you Andy how are you
1: oh yeah
0: what's your one oh my gosh I, uh, I forgot about it because I lost about three hours not three hours I lost an hour and a half of my time into in a project that I thought was going to take me 20 minutes mm. and uh it, it but you got to you got to see me in the middle of uh heavy frustration yeah and hopelessness yeah that turned to victory there's
2: light at the end of the tunnel yeah yeah yeah, well, and thanks. Thank you uh, to our guest, Jonathan Foster, for for being patient. But here we go. Welcome hey. back to the show.
3: Hey, thank you. It's really good to be here. I uh, I'm I'm lame. I'm I'm coming on this podcast with no beer, but I do have some passion iced tea.
2: Oh,
4: nice.
3: And I do have some bottled water, so I will stay hydrated.
4: Oh, okay, that's well, good. The iced tea is
1: brewed, at least. This is yeah, true. Technically this correct. True. Yeah, yeah. It's Bros Brables and Brew.
2: There you go. That's, you Boy. don't even know the name of our podcast, Scott. Oh, sh- yeah. Gosh. Um, no, that's that's fine. We have plenty of people that, I mean, we rotate. seems like we rotate dry streaks where it's like somebody will be drinking a, a tea or a LaCroix good. or something. So, diet, Pepsi. I'm,
4: Nothing I'm to be not at home of. Then. Okay.
2: Yeah.
4: Um, <laughs> he's,
0: he's telling you that to make you feel better, Jonathan. Yeah. I'm just good. buttering
2: yeah. you up before. I need all the help I can get. <laughs> <laughs> um. You were on episode one hundred and eighteen, I think. I, I wrote down one hundred and eighty-eight, but I think that was a dyslexic moment. I think it was one hundred and eighteen so. about the book about yeah. uh, questions that got you kicked out of your denomination. That was a fun conversation that people can go back to if they want to. But that's um, right. You and I missed a, a little more setup. In uh, thank you for reaching out to us. And I go in looking back at your stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, you had a book on uh, deconstruction or reconstruction. Mm-hmm. That's so right. So called the reconstructionist, yes, which bums me out. I'm gonna have to go back and check that out. But I don't. We'll get to your um, current book that's coming out, or will be out, depending on when people listen to this. Yeah. But do you mind talking a little bit about reconstruction? Like, what was deconstruction sure. for you? And just yeah. give us a little taste of that.
3: Yeah, so I went through, um, to use a, an overused word, I definitely have gone through some deconstruction. And what I decided was that I really was interested in reconstructing. I, I love the deconstructing part, and but deconstruction is highly flammable. And so, you know, it's fun to blow some things up. And as far as I was concerned, there were some things that, uh, that's probably too violent, but there were some things that needed to be de, uh, disassembled.
2: So metaphorically um, blown up.
3: (laughs) That's right. That's right. At some point in the journey over the last probably three, four years, I began to identify some of the ways I was reconstructing. And really, uh, for me, I started filtering all of my deconstruction and reconstruction journey through three things. And so the book is called The Reconstructionist. That came out, yeah, last year. And these three things are mercy is greater than sacrifice. Um, People are... Greater than the rules, and love is greater than uh, fear. So it's about mercy and people and love. And I started realizing all of my questions that we all tend to have about, well, like there's so many things interconnected. I was having a conversation with a lady last night on the phone who's a new friend of mine, and she was just asking one question after another hell, sexuality, uh, does God control the future? you know, uh, it just, all
2: these things are the hits, man. (laughs) I know those come up. I mean the same, it was the same with me.
3: Yeah. Once you start pulling at the thread, all these things kind of reveal themselves. So what I realized was all of that stuff, I was filtering through those three things, love, mercy, and people. And it was helping me reconstruct something. So I was definitely disassembling, but I was really interested in reassembling. And so that's, that's what happened, and that was kind of the genesis of the book, and and so that's that's what the book's about.
1: Could, um, do you guys hear the microphone rubbing a little bit? Is that I'm me?
3: Sure.
1: Oh, I think yeah, it must be yeah, a little just, mic. I on think on it the might be shirt. rubbing on your lip. Your uh, call, I got it. Okay, there. Yeah.
3: Okay, I can hold this. Cool. There we go. <laughs> All right.
1: Is that, do you have a question or just just, that? I, just production notes, Zach? I only have statements. Okay, that's right.
2: <laughs> um, the uh, so it feels like so many the deconstruction. I, I like how you said deconstruction, or I don't remember if you said it was a, a bad word or a dirty word to some people. It's it's overuse or oftentimes that you don't know what it means. It means very different things to different people. But mm-hmm. for sure, in our orbit at the church that. Uh, two out of the three of us in this room are involved with there's people with kids that are kind of young adult and are starting to tug at those threads and the parents are like the impulse is to like to fix it and like clamp down and to prevent it but i know it's it's definitely in the air uh, oh man yeah. and a lot of people could appreciate that so I, i'm i'll definitely check out that book it sounds interesting to me
3: Cool. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're right. It is in the air, it's in the water. There's a lot of people that are dealing with it and for a lot of good reasons. Sometimes it feels like maybe not good reasons, but the truth is a lot of times for really good reasons. And it's and it's good if we can just create healthy spaces, safe spaces for people to work through it. So yeah, I, it would be great for people to check out the book. I think it I think it's a good read and it, it'll help it'll help folks.
2: All right. Well, onward and upward. Unless you guys got
1: any quick thoughts on deconstruction? No, you're good. <laughs> yeah, <you're> good. <laughs> well, uh, well. Again. Okay. So, a, a quick one. Were, were there, was there anything in your in your um, re slash deconstruction where you're where you're you're thinking? Wow. Okay. Wait. I'm making the same mistakes I was making mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. in trying to deconstruct. Um, what I used to believe and and am I, am I making those same errors? Um, Like in the way he believes things like, yeah, it could be uh, resorting to some sort of fundamentalism or um, isolating passages. um, And that, that was your reason for deconstruction. And then, you know, trying to come to conclusions based upon um, isolation of a passage, which is, you know, the same indictment that, someone might make against um, a cult or evangelicalism as a whole, or I guess I shouldn't say as a whole, but like just the, the fundamental fundamental evangelical uh, belief. Um, That's a, yeah, it's a really good question.
3: Yeah. um, But what I hear you saying is, did you, as you were deconstructing, were you just building new things that you could wind up, um, you know, fortifying and defending that someone else could come along and criticize in the same way that you criticize your old stuff. And that yeah. that's one way of asking it. And the answer is for sure that there's a tendency for that to happen for all of us and me too. And by the way, all of this dovetails really nicely with the dissertation and this new, new work that I'm doing, because um, what I was going to answer, the way I was going to answer has a lot to do with scapegoating. And mimetic theory, and so what I what I realized uh, pretty pretty early on was that uh, in terms of scapegoating, I was calling out uh, the institutionalized type of Christianity for the way that they scapegoat. But real quickly, to your point, I could scapegoat them for their scapegoating tendencies if I wasn't careful. And so I'm so grateful, like super grateful that I had just enough years of experience. By the way, getting old is not bad, guys. It is, <laughs> it's, a, it's not a bad thing, man. So I'm so thankful for the years of experience that I had and also for uh, Rene Girard and what I've been able to learn from him because it, um, it kept me from probably uh, just doing the same thing with this new kind of thinking. So I think that's a really good question and it's something that everyone's deconstructing needs to... Uh, Yeah, really consider.
0: That's an interesting point, though, because oftentimes maybe what you're alluding to is that uh, people who go through deconstruction reject uh, Christian fundamentalism and substitute it with some other version of fundamentalism.
1: Right. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's a good way of putting it. And like you said, like you said, Jonathan, like like we're all susceptible Mm -hmm. to resorting uh, to that, to some Mm -hmm. sort of uh, creating some sort of foundation. And then we build off of that, but then, but that foundation might not, might not be as solid as we think it is. Uh, that's right. Uh, and yeah, that's just something. Yeah. Just what we, we all need to be aware of. Yeah. For sure. For sure. All right. Well that brings us to
2: the, the new book. Is that, is the title settled the one that I have?
3: Yes, sir. It is. It's called theology of consent. Which I know you don't have to tell me. It's a great title. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's cool. I, I just wanted to yeah I'd make sure I knew that. So and then it's the all uh, about the subtitle, sex. Uh, the, book, it could the book's be. all about sex. It, re- it could be. It definitely has some overtones there. If you if uh, for those who need it. And well, then it the depends
0: sub- on how you read Song of Solomon.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And the subtitle uh, is a mimetic mimetic theory in an open and relational universe, and so my the work that I've done over the last three years is trying to bring Rene Girard's a mimetic theory in concert or in conversation with open and relational theology, and then kind of just see what happens.
2: So, what brought you to? Well, can you give us give us a little a little elevator pitch for? on what open and relational theology is. And I suppose also mimetic theory, we touched on it before we we've had Thomas Ord on a couple of times and I'm sure in the future. Yeah. Um, and he, and he's great, but that it's still something that I could talk about endlessly because there's always new things. It's like, well, it's talking about God. There's always something new to unpack.
3: Right, Right. Um,
2: no matter what theology you're talking about. So give us a little pitch for a summary for the listeners, what open and relational theology is and maybe how you got into Rene Girard.
3: Sure. And to be clear, um, you know, mimetic theory is not the same thing as open and relational theology. They're two different, two different paradigms, two different frameworks. So that's part of the reason why this work is so interesting because they're really not trying to answer the same kind of questions. They, they're both incredible. There are these huge venerable concepts but they're, they're different. So, um,
2: maybe before you do the, do a little pitch for open relation theology, what gave you the idea to marry those two things? Because there, it is a, when I saw the title of the book, I was like, what, that sounds really interesting.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. I hope there's a few other people that feel that way too, when they see the title, um, mostly because I just have questions And I've been pulling at the thread of each of these things for a few years now. They both, as far as general, you know, speaking loosely general terms, they've both helped me as much or more than anything else to reconstruct, to uh, reassemble my uh, thoughts about who I might imagine God is and who I am. So they've they've been so life-giving and healthy that I just, when, so I did this work, I've, I've been studying with Tom Ord, so when we first started talking about it, we just, I pretty naturally landed on it because I was such a big Girard fan already. And as far as we know, no one else have, has officially kind of tried to synthesize these things. Though so at times they don't synthesize because at times they're they're kind of discordant, but there's also a lot of common denominators. So that's kind of fun. Um, it, it made it more challenging because I didn't have any resources to go back and read to see who else was... I had a few papers that were done at a few different, um, seminars and things, but nothing official. Um, so what made me do it is just both of them are so interesting and cool and helpful. I wondered if they, I wondered how they would uh, speak to each other. Yeah. Something like that.
0: Uh, why are they interesting and cool and helpful? <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> that is a good question. Well, um, maybe, I'll just tell, maybe I'll just briefly um, unpack open and relational, and then we can, we can try to unpack memetic theory. And of course, yeah. you guys know and your listeners know that these things are like almost inexhaustible. So I'll try to do it quickly and, and somewhat linearly. Neither one of these things are really linear. Or sequential, but you know you got to try to package them that way. To
2: our listeners are pretty graceful. I mean, they're good. listening to this show, so yeah, yeah, they got to listen
4: to this. So.
1: <laughs> I right.
3: they are. More
2: than one episode, they're pretty graceful Yeah, Yeah,
4: graceful.
3: yeah so. you guys have done what? Do you say 190 some now? 199.
0: This is technically 199. Oh. Yeah, good for us. That well is done, good. gang.
3: That is pretty impressive. So yes, your listeners are clearly very gracious. <laughs> and uh,
4: hey, hey watch it
3: <laughs>
4: well tactically Jonathan,
0: uh, you can post a podcast without anybody listening so it doesn't really bother.
3: right hey i actually know that really well i do that all the time so i'm uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm very good at that
0: oh cool okay. man
3: okay so open relational theology um i usually start with the relational part and that is the idea that um it seems like the nature of reality is telling us that everything in the cosmos is interrelated. Everything is connected. Uh, Nothing really is separate. Uh, We are all interconnected with the world and the world is interconnected with us. Microscopically, macroscopically, uh, everything like the real power is in the relationship between things. It's not so much the proton or the electron or the neutron that holds power. It's in the relationship between those three things within the cell. And that kind of thinking can be superimposed and seems to be infused and embedded within all of reality. It's the relational way that everything is interconnected that um, is so interesting and brings um, new thoughts and new ideas into it. And so it's not as if you guys or myself or anyone is an exemption from or an exception from this We all come from the world. We come from a context. We come from a relational thing. So we come from the world. The world comes from the universe. The universe comes from, I don't know, other universes. Um, And all of that seems, for those of us who are interested in being Jesus followers or a Christian or interested in the Bible, all of that seems to be intermeshed also within God himself or God herself, such that God is relational with us and flows
0: in that Record scratch on herself for Scott. <laughs>
2: Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. It's okay. Yeah, we don't need to get hung we, up on that. I like doing that. I like, of
4: course, Zach would say I, that. I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate,
2: I appreciate, I, I do that occasionally, um, at Scott on purpose, because I know it gets his ire, but also, you know, God is mentioned as he for pretty much since time immemorium. And so, uh, if the, if God is, if the image of God is full completeness, you know, why yes.
3: not, uh, Throw the if, feminine a bone. <laughs> All right. If Scott uh, doesn't want to be biblical, it's fine. We don't, we don't have to be.
1: Oh, but. shots fired. Well, nice. so, so that, okay. Well, I, I don't know if I, I was willing to let it go and maybe put it <laughs> to the end, but if we want to talk about it, I mean, uh, it's, uh, it's up to y'all. I would just so, say that Jesus referred to God as father. And I don't, I don't know why that would be such a big deal for humans to want to mimetic imitate Jesus, um,
3: yeah, I like that. That's a good. <laughs> that's a nice response. Hey,
0: so if if I can pause you because the interconnectedness thing um, can mean a lot of different things to different people, and uh, I'm pretty good at being able to like justify anything at some level too. That's what your and wife so says. yes, right. And so this <laughs> feels. Th- I would love to hear some like specifics from you because like I could probably and maybe it gets a little bit wishy-washy i could probably like make some justification between in, in anything me and the like can of you know whatever wd40 that's sitting over here in the corner mm-hmm. like i i can make some justifications that, that there is some relationship because we share the same space or whatever but mm-hmm. um but i'm curious when you say that because it it does feel like some ties are looser than others in terms, mm-hmm. of when we talk about rel- relation relationship between us and all things, like I don't sense and feel a deep connected relationship with Mars, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe maybe you can talk about that little piece uh, a bit more.
3: Yeah, and that's probably true. Uh, depending on um, how you approach it, there some of these things you're going to feel more intensely than other things. The general idea is to try to help us move in a direction where we're not thinking ourselves as separate we're not thinking ourselves as just uh, substance based but um, relational based you know science had to cross this bridge and basically science did when uh theory of relativity and quantum mechanics became a saying about 100 years ago or so this idea that you know up until that time during the enlightenment we were basically trying to find the fundamental building blocks. And we were, whether it was Descartes or Darwinian or, you know, Darwin or um, any number of enlightened thinkers, we Kant. were tending to think Kant, uh, more of a theological, philosophical approach. We tended to think things could be separated out. Mm-hmm. What, we've, what we've discovered scientifically is that's not really true. Um, and in fact, in terms of quantum mechanics, it's not true at all. It's like really crazy how interconnected uh, we are and entangled and enmeshed. So scientifically, um, and this also gets into Girardian thinking, because um, Girard wouldn't talk about relational. He would talk about something like a concept like interdividual. That has to do with not just an individual, but an interdividual, such that our desires are connected. I don't even really know what my desire is until I know what your desire is. Um, and vice versa.
0: It feels like that's a made up word that you just said. <laughs> interdividual. Interdividual. <laughs> inter-dividual. <laughs> it, I've never heard that word. I've yeah, been on this earth maybe, a long time. Maybe Gerard made it up. Uh, um, well, maybe.
3: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, Gerard the and his buddy, um, his buddy, it was a French, actually, psychologist, uh, Jean Michael Gorlian, if I'm pronouncing his name right. They use that word a lot, uh, interdividual. And so, I don't know for sure if they made it up, but I know that they definitely used it in their context a lot.
0: And to be fair, they didn't even speak English, so who knows? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but but you do make no. you do make that point in um in your in your uh dissertation about uh our you know the the desires that we have we we didn't make them up whole cloth. You might not have used those exact words, but but our, the desires we have come from our surroundings right. and our, you know, our environment. And like, you know, like you said, I don't know what my desires are until I know what your desires are. And I, that that's probably true some of the time, um, depending on who we're talking with at, at any given point. But yeah, an, an inter individual, it, it'd be like, like if we were to uh, take, like as Americans, we, we're free, we have freedom, but are we like, we're free to do whatever we want? Uh, not necessarily because we have certain rules that we follow because we want to live in society and we want other people to yeah. follow those same concepts, social
3: constructs.
1: Yeah. And so we're, we're willing to give up, um, we're willing to give up some of our autonomy in order to be part of society, Sure. and sometimes we don't even know what that is until we encounter someone else and encroach upon them, their desires, and we go, and then we have to back off. and It's part of a learning process that you know, like as you said, Jonathan, earlier. It's like getting old isn't always bad because we we learn that along the way how how much we can we can. How, how much we can in, do our own will tell that to my lower back <laughs> yeah <laughs> i you know and you know yeah. what i just said i don't know if that has anything to do with what we're yeah. talking about but I, go for I it i
0: get it we're individuals but we can't deny the connection between each other so individuals who are inextricably tied to others yeah. right
3: so it, i'm sorry Did i interrupt you
0: go ahead no no you didn't i just said uh, in 2 seconds what uh scott said <laughs> 2 minutes <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, that's because you had the benefit of him carving some exactly. of that out.
2: Thank wow. you, Jonathan. It's in sure.
0: at work. That assumes I wasn't. Time. That assumes I wasn't being patient the whole time.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: Cheers.
1: Because yeah, you did turn around and look at me like, "What in the world are you talking about?" <laughs> What's this, boy talking
2: about? <laughs> we, whenever we, one of us is creating word word salad, we have permission from each other to give us the look, like, okay, Good. either right. either put a button on this or put a question mark at the end of it, but wrap it up. I had my introduction to, um, mimetic theory was before I knew about Rene Girard, in my late twenties, early thirties. At the time, raising two daughters, and I had, you know, one of them didn't know she wanted another doll, wanted a specific doll until the other one's playing with a doll, yeah. and instantly it's like, no, I I want that, I need that now. That's my doll. I even did a version of the the Solomon. I think it's Solomon where you yeah. cut it in half and made him choose. <laughs> yeah. I threatened to. Oh, you yeah. did. Yeah. I oh. went and I was so proud of myself cause I knew my intuition told me that my younger daughter, it wasn't actually her doll. It was my older daughter's doll. She was playing with it first and I said, okay, this is fair. Let me just cut it in half and give you each half. And, uh, and my younger daughter said, "Fine, go ahead. I don't care." <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's perfect in the cutest way possible. Yeah. And and my older daughter was like freaking out, like, "No, don't do it!" I'm like, "That's King Solomon
1: right there." Because like, because when yeah. you, like when I read that story, I'm like, "Okay, what? Who? Which human would actually say, yeah, cut the baby in half,' and then your daughter uh, proves that that is actually well, it, a possibility?" In her defense,
2: it was a stuffed animal, but how, or stuffed uh, baby, but. And not a real baby, not a stuffed a actual stuffed baby, baby, Scott. For <laughs> clarification, I know you like to clarify.
3: <laughs> this story is uh, going downhill
2: yes, quickly. Yes, <laughs> real quick. But just the, the the need to have what you don't want, and I I know Paul in the Bible says uh, prohibition increases desire. That's a good example mm-hmm. of it. But I'll I'll just ping pong that ball back to you, Jonathan. And
3: uh, yeah.
2: what do you got for us?
3: Well, we haven't even gotten to the relational open part and we've already jumped to mimetic theory. So let me just, um, (laughs) bring us back. Uh, It's Scott's Definitely. It is. I think I'm going to blame the whole thing on Scott. (laughs) Um, the relational piece is just this reality. Yeah. We're interconnected. uh, We're interconnected as humans. We're interconnected in the world. You know, uh, the trees give off oxygen. We breathe it in, give off carbon dioxide. Like it's this symbiotic relationship that's happening um, throughout our cosmos. What open relational theology does is it is really careful to say that's also true of the divine, that God is in relationship with us as well. Mm. And so God interacts with us fundamentally at a relational level. It's not a God who lives outside of space and time, who then steps in and does his thing or her thing, and then, <laughs> sorry, and then, um, you know, and then retreats back to his his spot or whatever, but that God is embedded and entangled within us, and that love is a part of all the things that are going on, so I love that piece of it, um, and because of that, because God is interconnected with us in, in relationship with us, what it means is, if God truly is in relationship with us, Um, It means that the future isn't entirely determined because for God to have a genuine interaction, then then there needs to be chance. There needs to be vulnerability. There needs to be the possibility that things can go in multiple different directions. If God could control everything, then it um, completely compromises this idea of relationality. Cause God doesn't need to be in a relationship with us. Cause God's just got the blueprint and is doing his thing. You guys good oh, over
1: there? I'd like to raise my hand. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I'm raising my hand too. So oh, yeah, okay. make it quick. Make, I bet multiple, we have the same
0: question. Multiple God, hands raising. God cannot, or God chooses not to.
3: To uh, what? Control.
0: Uh,
1: to not control. Well,
3: right. It, okay. the Same question.
1: Yeah. I so, knew yeah. it. Oh, well, no, I would I would say, I would say, It's the same question. God chooses to not control or God chooses to control, I think are the same question, but yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah. I guess the point is there's a version. God, God doesn't control. Right. And the the question that I'm having, God can't control or God can't control. So one of these is, is stating a a limitation of God. Mm -hmm. God cannot control. The other one is stating total sovereignty. God could control and chooses not to.
3: That's right. Although there is a way there are open and relational theologians who would not um, subscribe to total sovereignty who would say, no, I think God chooses to enter into this kind of thing. I am a, uh, a Thomas J. Ordian, and um, I go the route, nice. but I could be wrong and Tom could be wrong, yeah. but I go the route that it seems to make the most sense to me to say that the that God is love and that the fundamental characteristic of love is uncontrolling or, uh, the way I, I, my twist on it with the dissertation, in the book is consent, which is the same kind of idea, but I don't think that love is controlling. I, so I don't think that God, uh, can control us. If God could control us, I don't think it's love.
4: And I think, yeah, go ahead, Zach.
2: I was just going to say, piggyback on that. Like at least like agape love definitionally, the way it's been defined, uh, doesn't include control as, as one of its uh, definitional points. That's fair. Is God only love? Wow. Cl- the, the Maybe the biggest can of worms just got opened right there. That's a
1: very important question. I, I mean,
0: because, because if we say, if we say God is love and then we constrain all of God's character to be limited by that single definition of, or that character trait, then there are, it, it gets a little challenging at times to, to like, it feels like we got to do some mental gymnastics to work some other things into that. Um, I, I, we can, we can do justifications for,
2: well, you, you put the question out before I made the can of worms comment. Let's yeah, Jonathan, what do you think?
3: Yeah. So it's so the question only love or God how would you love? answer
2: is God only love.
3: Well, I wouldn't say that necessarily love is limiting because you you went straight to, which I think we kind of do, this idea that, oh gosh, that means that there's some of these other things aren't possible. I, I kind of go the other direction. I think I think love is, uh, is the best thing we could say about God. I think it's the truest thing we could probably say about God. Now, I've spent a lifetime, like you guys probably, but I've spent a lifetime around folks, um, around different voices, including the voices in my own head. Who have told me, well, it's love, but don't forget about holiness, or don't forget about wrath, or don't forget about, and in theology of consent, I work through some of this stuff. Mm. Um, What I finally decided was, uh, and I don't mean this to be disrespectful to anyone else, because I know there are other people who have, you know, come to different conclusions. I decided for myself that I think it's most biblical to think that the best thing I can say of the divine is that it is love. And I think it opens up the possibilities for a world that isn't opened up if it's a hyphenated kind of love, like a holy love or a wrathful love or a separate love or any other kind of love.
1: Well, and that that might go to Andy's question is that um, if you're going to say that because the best thing that we can say about God is love, Mm -hmm. would that preclude us from having... These other attributes attributed to God, like justice and wrath, um, uh, mercy, grace, patience.
3: No, I don't the, think so.
1: Well, 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 so that's that's the question: is mm. is if it, in Scripture we have these descriptions of God as doing things that we we as humans might not think are loving, but they're attributed to God as as violence um how why what gives the what gives you the justification to to talk about love as being the something overarching that says no god doesn't do those things because he's love when we have all the, like all the prophets and we have Jesus and the apostles talking about god doing things that equate to violence towards humans or justice or even sure. the idea even the question, idea of yeah. even the idea of patience and mercy like patience for what like as if god is going to do something bad but he's patient with that like the, mm. these words have like the meaning of these words have particular implications so if god is merciful okay well if he if he can't do anything other than love in your definition of love then what what is like what does mercy mean he he can't even do anything uh, bad. So why why have the word mercy and patience?
3: He can't do anything bad. Is that what you said?
1: Well, like like as if like humans would suffer the wrath of God because they're you know they're evil. Oh, okay, I see what you're
3: saying. Yeah, yeah. So, well, first of all, when you, when you mentioned that the prophets are different you know, writers in the Bible, different biblical narrators bring up different attributes of God. I've come to the conclusion that all of that can be explained through love. I think wrath can even be explained through love. I don't think, for example, and we can get off in the weeds on this if we want, but, um, I don't think that wrath is, um, I don't think it's a wrath of God as we typically think of wrath. Like someone is angry and mad and is going to punish me. I think the wrath in uh, this really comes to bear in Romans chapter one, is where God gives us over God consents to our desires. And so wrath in a Bradley Jerzak kind of way in a Simone Weil kind of a way, uh, is this idea that God blesses not even blesses God consents. God is open to our self-destructive choices. So if you want to call that wrath, I'm totally down with that. And I think that that fits really well within the open and relational idea of love.
0: I have heard that description before that, that, wrath is god uh effectively allowing us to experience the consequences of our actions.
1: R- yeah. r- but that, that that would raise I think that raises a whole host of other questions like Everything sure. does. Yeah, like like um, pick yeah, one. Uh, yeah, <laughs> pick so, one question. So like okay, uh, in so Romans chapter 1 in particular, you have um the worshiping of idols, but you also have um, what seems to be homosexuality. So so like, um um yeah, what what's the natural consequence of that? But then you go to Romans chapter two, and Paul, where Paul is continuing this thought, and he talks about um, um, that God will be revealed, and he will render to each person according to their deeds in the day of judgment, which the day of judgment is is after this life, and like that would be very difficult to like to, to limit the day of judgment as like in this life. It's a, it's a specific thing that's after this life, after the resurrection and people will be judged according to their deeds. So yes, there is, there are natural consequences, but the script there's over and over scripture talks about a judgment that happens after yeah. this life.
3: I think there's a judgment. I think the judgment is love. I think the I, judgment, I think the judgment's already been rendered. And what what this does, and, and someone mentioned it, and it's true, all these things open up all these different questions. So, it's a part of what I've been spending the last few years doing. So, all of your questions are, those are great questions, and they're all things I've wrestled with. Um, and I'm not saying that I have, or that open relational theology has the exact answer, but there are some really, I think, um, oh, let's just put it, there's some reasonably intelligent interpretations about this. And for me, as I worked with people pastorally, as I work with my own like massive grief in my own life that I've been through, the thing that that continues to be the healthiest thing for uh, me and working with folks is this idea that love is with, with us, that love is relational, that love is not interested in compartmentalizing in being separate, that love is interactive. And if love is interactive, yeah, there's some really interesting implications uh, with all of that, and I love that about open relational theology that it that it kind of pushes all those all those boundaries.
2: Yeah, there's what I love about open relational theology is that it seems to make the most well, right now to me, it makes the most sense of mm. the day to day interactions, like how people actually live their lives, how people actually relate to God, um, because even even miracle claims. That seem to come from outside. Um, when you drill down to them, almost all of them like can be explained in some way where where that that removes the God interceding from outside time and space to make that happen. Mm-hmm. There's often other ex- explanations. Also, so I want to know for you, wh- what's a what's a problem that you wrestle with with open relation theology that it can't quite explain that you wish it could. And um, and piggybacking on what can explain things re- w- really well, Calvinism, like predeterminism, that explains life really well. God has this plan that's orchestrated. Now, I none of us hold to any sort of Calvinism, um, but it is like it makes sense of the world in a way that I think ultimately falls short when you look at at uh, the breadth of Scripture personally. But it does explain a lot. The downside is it leads to all sorts of implications about God's nature, um, Mm -hmm. in a way that, and none of these views of God or reality have like a complete picture of things. There's always a weak spot. So, getting Mm -hmm. circling way back, I'm getting the look. Do you want ranch or balsamic vinaigrette with your word salad? (laughs) (laughs) Which Um, dressing? You can comment on any of that, but mostly, like, what's the thing about open relational theology that you? Um, wish it satisfied that you don't think it quite satisfies, or what's a weak spot?
1: Yeah,
3: that's a really good uh, question. Um,
2: At the very end, and all the comments were total silence. I, I get it. I repent that. No, you know. Also,
3: can I just say too? I think part of the reason we all we all use a lot of words is because these are some of these concepts are really deep, and there's a lot of implications, and there's <laughs> God, nuance to it. Yeah. So I'm thankful for venues like this where we can kind of work through it, because to your point with Calvinism, it's not, it's not just with Calvinism. There's a whole pile of Americanized Christianity that has kind of bought into this simplistic response, you know, this, what's the shortest 140, yeah, 140 characters or less um, soundbite. And so, um, I love both open relational theology and mimetic theory, because they refuse to be boxed into these things. And it, it requires you to kind of rewire your brain and, and to, to think through things. So, um, so it's okay to ramble. Um, Thank you. What, what's something I, what's something I struggle with open relational? I think there's, there's a handful of things. Uh, Probably one is what you guys have kind of already hinted at a little bit, maybe, or at least what I heard underneath, which is the idea of what can God do? If God is, can, if God Mm -hmm. is love and the fundamental characteristic of love is, this uncontrolling consent, uh, you know, is there power there to actually do something in the end? And a lot of people will bring that up. They'll, they'll look at, you know, um, you know, eschatology and like, well, well, how, how could God have the power to redeem this whole thing if so much consent is built into it? And so I think that that is something that I still work through, you know, the idea of miracles, but it's something I still work through, but also these things, all big definitions, like what is your, what is your definition of a miracle? What is your definition of, of power and love? And I have some responses to all those things too, but those two things in particular, I yeah, have to struggle could, with.
0: Could I, could I zoom in on one piece of that then? Sure. Like just to, just to, maybe this is clarifying enough. Um, do you believe that, or does open thought, theology believe that god uh interacts in the world
3: to affect things oh absolutely 100% yeah uh well, it's
1: that, yeah oh sorry go ahead go ahead
3: well it just it just looks different than the way we've uh kind of been conditioned to think of it so um maybe a direction to go here's to talk a little bit about power so uh, what i think what i think that i think is that love is the most powerful thing in the world. It's just not an authoritative power. Like we tend to think of it's a, it's a relational power. Mm. There's a difference between, um, you know, the incredible Hulk and mother Teresa, If you would say, which is stronger. You know, we would pretty quickly say, well, it's incredible Hulk, but then, well, we're obviously thinking in terms of physical raw strength and power. Sure. Sure. But what Mother Teresa stood for and what she did and the way she lived, we all know is more sustainable, is longer lasting than anything the whole can do.
0: Well, the part of the reason I asked that is because I think part of, of what uh, open theology says is that there is uh, that God doesn't know the future.
3: That's correct. Yeah. Right.
0: And I think the, what I like the sweet spot middle, road is Molinism. Middle,
1: middle knowledge. Where, Weird.
0: where, where God does, does know ultimately the, the, um, the future, but there are details in between that either he doesn't, isn't clear on or actually allows to play themselves out. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh,
0: I may, I'm way oversimplifying because I'm trying not to put yeah, any basalmic
1: vinaigrette on my salad. It might, it might salad. not be, it might not be bragger. Precise, but yeah, go ahead. It's go accurate. Ahead, Jonathan. I,
3: yeah, no. I mean, um, I do think there are people who who think that. You know, my problem is is if God knows um, where this is all going to go eventually, when I begin to break that down and parse that out, it for me, realistically, it becomes the same thing as if God knew what was going to exactly happen in a few weeks. If if God knows where this is going, to me, it it doesn't feel like it's it's a, it's authentically uncontrolling love. It feels like in the end, he's going to go like, well, you know, we thought we you thought you were going to do this, but I've got this plan up my sleeve and I'm going to go, I'm going to go this well, direction.
0: So is knowledge of the end, d- does that equal control though?
3: Um, I think in, when we're I talking mean, we've about,
0: we've all, we've all seen back to the future. We know.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So clearly we know about, uh, time and future travel. I'm Um, still confused. (laughs) That's because time and future that these are some of the most challenging concepts uh, in all this stuff. Uh, For me, it, when, when we talk about the divine, yeah, typically it has meant uh, that God then has controlled. So if you're trying to postulate the idea that God just knows, um, but at, but right now, I mean, he knows where it's going to go, but right now he's not. So what, what, so what, Role does he play now? He's just kind of an innocent bystander. He's not really actively involved. It, to me, it kind of takes the, it. It removes the risk, and when you remove risk, you're you're not in the realm of of love. And I'm really just more interested in talking about love.
1: Yeah. So uh, sorry, sorry, Jonathan. It's just like you you're using the word love so ambiguously sure, yeah. that it that it like I think to um, Andy's uh, question earlier, it's like. You l- love is just, um, you're taking that as an umbrella and it's kind of discounting God's other attributes. But, um, so, so the, the P, pe- I think, am I, am I understanding the people, thank you, the people waiting that, for that, well, you ho- hold on, I know <laughs> uh, the, the people that take, um, any sort of, uh, foreknowledge of the future, um, as, like God predestining something, th- those typically tend to be Calvinists, and and I was you know I was reading through the the dissertation and and it's an outline of your dissertation, so it's not the whole thing. So there might be some things that I'm not you know getting there, but mm-hmm. but there there were parts of it where I'm like, dude, he's he's talking about Calvinists here or criticizing Calvinists, but that's not the majority of like mainstream evangelicalism when it's in the, terms of
3: the future piece of God controlling well, the future.
1: Yeah, in this in this particular yeah, in this mm-hmm. particular um topic, because because like Andy said, like Molinism, for example, they they like acknowledge the foreknowledge of God, but that doesn't necessarily mean that God predestines things. It doesn't mean that that He's controlling every aspect. Yep. And and one of the main things for me is Prophecy in the Bible, there there are a number of things where God tells the future before it happens. Um and and like that doesn't mean that God controls every human action that leads up to that thing. Okay. Can I um, can we
3: can we time out for a second? Because you've already brought you brought up like three or four things. Yeah. Yeah. So um
2: He just gave you the word salad look, Scott. It's not deserved it, Jonathan. It's okay. I'm with you, Jonathan. You're not wrong. (laughs) Thanks, thanks, thanks.
3: Um, Whatever. You know, first of all, I I definitely want to speak to using love as an umbrella in like an ambiguous way. I don't think it is an ambiguous thing. I think in the English language, uh, it has been watered down. And so what I do uh, in the book and what others do, like Tom, Uh, In fact, I adopt Tom's uh, definition a lot um, in terms of what love is. And I think that's really important. It's been important in my reconstruction journey to rehabilitate certain words. And love has had to, was definitely one of those, because otherwise it just becomes this kind of overused, watered down thing. I mean, I love my wife. I love, you know, jazz music. I love eating uh, chalupas at Taco Bell. Oh,
4: my God. Who doesn't? It's disgusting. Exactly.
3: (laughs) Actually, I don't even love chalupas. I just love saying the word chalupa. So that just compromises <laughs> stuff even it, man. more. And you
2: love telling people that you ate a chalupa. It's everyone's yes. favorite Taco Bell word. Exactly. It's a great
3: word. So um, I use love in not as a non-binary, non-scapegoating, non-violent way. I do my best to not use it in, in an unclear, ambiguous way. It just... Uh, it just unfortunately takes a while to kind of unpack some of those things. I think love is very intentional. Um, I know Tom's definition is love is an intentional um, act that's done in relationship with others and with God for well-being. And when you unpack those three things, like there's so many subpoints to all of that that it that, that you realize afterwards. Oh, we're not actually talking about the same kind of love that. I was told growing up was love. It's it's really much more complex. Than and,
1: that. and I have a question about that specific definition, but go ahead with your thought and, and we'll come back to that.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, the other stuff you were bringing up in terms of uh, telling the future, I actually don't think prophecy is about telling is about the is about physical future events. I think prophecy is more about in the spirit of love. I think the prophets are, Railing against a system. By the way, it's a scapegoating. It's by, it's a system of scapegoating uh, mechanism, um, and so the prophets are railing against that, and they're and they're pointing out what's going to happen if we continue to operate by these systems, uh, and invariably those things come about because we all have all these issues that we deal with. It's it's more about that than it is. Dates and times and calendars and well, charts.
1: Who, who's doing the scapegoating in, in in the scenario of of prophecy? Who, who's doing the scapegoating?
3: Well, it would de- it would depend on which prophecy we're talking about. But the scapegoating mechanism, uh, according to Gerard, is being slowly unpacked. The biblical story, from all the way from the beginning, Adam and Eve, and certainly Cain and Abel, to all the way through the story of Jesus, is is slowly being revealed. So but, the
1: but, oh sorry go ahead
4: go ahead
3: sorry. well the prophets may not use um, they may not identify the scapegoating mechanism but they may say things like mercy is greater than sacrifice and so they're pointing out the idea of our obsession with sacrifice which of course is something that Jesus picks up on
1: now now if the prophets are are so so God sends prophets to the nation of Israel pretty much specifically you have cases like Jonah where he goes to a Nineveh non, a non non Jewish nation but primarily they go to to Israel um and there and the prophecies are a lot of the times are hey if you continue to disobey god these things will happen you'll go into captivity mm-hmm. and and other things mm-hmm. and then jesus talks jesus tells like you know first century israel hey um the uh, all the, all the blood of the prophets is going to fall on this generation because you reject me and then that, that ends up being the prophecy of the destruction of the temple in you know, what happens in 70 AD so in those cases where where you have the prophets of god those those people sent by god to tell the people what's going to happen um who who's doing the scapegoating there is that is that god doing the scapegoating or is that the people I, i'm kind of not clear on what you mean by scapegoating. If it's the prophets of the being sent by God, who is giving the warning. Got it. Jonathan. I
3: think if I understand, well, first of all, we might have, we might, this might be a good time to go then unpack memetic theory, which would then better detail what the scapegoating mechanism is to give us more clarity. (laughs) But I, I think what I, I might be able to answer your question in terms of one of the things that the prophets are doing whether they clearly identify it in a sequential way, which they, which they can't in a Girardian way because they're, you know, they're living thousands of years ago. So whether they're, even though they may not be doing that in a conscious way, there is a way to see how then the story is evolving such that as the prophets are bringing these things up, we're, we're realizing that God is not interested in scapegoating. That God is not interested in sacrifice. That God is not interested in exclusionary thinking. That God is not interested in just Israel. That God is interested in all people, uh, who and loves all people, who has in has this intense non-binary, non-violent, non-scapegoating energy towards all people. So.
1: Well, okay, yeah, but but that's I don't, I'm not sure that that, in my view, I have to say that. Um, uh, <laughs> Mostly because it is Scott. No, All no. Times, but but, but I that, like that a, You're get, putting the brakes on yourself, but I, there's not, a little bit I'm of not, like this, I'm, do, I'm doing it to satisfy or appease. I think that's apparent. Appease the blood of you know the the you know the what's required by the audience there. Um, <laughs> but what? Jesus. No, because because the prophets. Whether it's sequ- I don't I don't know what you mean by sequential, but there there are specific there's prof- in order. There's prophecy. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Jeff's with us, Hey, by the way. Jeff's here, everybody. Think, uh, there's pro- Hi, Jeff. there's prophecy, though, about things that are going to happen. Sure. Jesus. to the nation Talking about of Jesus. Yeah, As to well. the nation of Israel. Um, Jesus talks about things that are going to happen, like pre- Jesus predicting that they're going to reject him. Sure, but that's not a
3: necessarily a specific thing that corroborates the idea that God knows exactly every event that's going to take place either tomorrow or next week or in a thousand years. Yeah, That's the, I,
0: Molinism though, right? Yeah, yeah, Molinism not, is, yeah. is not every single event is determined or known by God, but the ultimate outcome is known by God.
3: Sure. And that is a way to go. I know uh, probably uh, in in loosely associated open relational circles, Ryan Mullins is a really well-respected uh, Molinist. And in a, even in real time, if you listen to some of his podcasts, he's trying to work through that. My only response to that, my response to that is, um, it gets really fuzzy for me to break down. If God knows how the end is going to be, what role does he play now? It removes risk. And for me, I'm just saying that's problematic because love in in any of your relationships that you have, if you removed risk, it would affect the way that you love. It would definitely speak into power and to control. Uh, so love is vulnerable. Love is risk. Love yes. is is taking a, well, taking a leap um, when you don't know exactly how it's going to go. And I think that comes from the divine.
0: So maybe before I all, love, the, I love that before Jonathan. all the neds, uh, well, neds before all the heads start nodding <laughs> on that. Um, but I don't know <laughs> if it does remove Definitely all the risk <laughs> um, because like Jeremiah twenty nine eleven often gets misattributed to like very to a specific person. For I know. The plans I have for you, but it's not about you, Jonathan. It's not about me, Andy. It's not about Zach. It's mm-hmm. about a people, and that points to that that God knows the plans that He has ultimately for His people, right?
3: Right. And but so, plans are also plural. It doesn't. I know the plan. It's. I know the. I know. It could be. I know plan. I know are, the plans.
0: It does feel like we're playing with semantics here a little bit, and I'm not trying yeah. to be argumentative, but well, but but the point this. The, I'll make the point real quick is that um, God indicates there that there is foreknowledge that he has of, of the future. What Molinism allows for is that there's going to be things that will happen that, that will not necessarily uh, line up with the let's, I'll just use my own language here in the strategy of God. Not everyone may be saved. I'll, I'll, Let's use this as an example. Maybe I don't. I don't know if this is true. Not everyone will be saved. God will say, "I am setting up a system where um, all can be saved," and and therefore, and I'm hoping that they will. Free mm-hmm. will is allowed, and people are able to choose what they want to be able to do. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to go in the weeds of like, of does God know what you may cho- choose given different scenarios. I don't, I don't want to go down that road, but, but I don't think that Molinism leaves out love at all. In fact, that's the, again, that's where I'm trying to separate the idea of foreknowledge from control.
3: Right, but I suppose one person's semantics is, is another person's, hey, this is a good point, and, and yeah. vice versa. So, um, I do think that there is a way, and I think open relational theology really wrestles with this, I think there's a way to read the Bible, and I actually think it's a healthy way to read the Bible, to not necessarily slot God into the position of having to know what the future is exactly. And I personally think that it, um, that it compromises this role of love. And I definitely, you guys have obviously heard me say that, uh, and I'm, I, I'm fine yeah. with that. I definitely want to promote the idea but I think the truest and the best thing we can say about God is that God is love. It's one of the two only declarative statements in the Bible. God is spirit and God is love.
1: And God and, is God of wrath. Yes. And
3: so, and so <laughs> it helps me work through, no, God's, yeah. yeah, but but again, I've already demonstrated how a wrath can work within yeah. something of love.
2: Hey, but, no, but we don't. We already no, have. I don't, I don't, I don't, Scott, think, I don't Scott, think you've demonstrated Scott, that. I need you. To, we're not having a debate. We're we right now. We're moving beyond conversation, <laughs> so, and you're obviously yeah. triggered. So can Just, we go I, back no, to the? Scott, I want you to quote, take a break.
1: The definition of love Scott, by Thomas Ord. Scott, do you have any respect for me? <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, Scott, do you recognize that you've been <laughs> talking it, for a while?
1: If you want, yeah. If you want to, and play, I'm asking you yeah, to take a back yes, seat for a minute. Zach, I respect that. Yes.
2: Thank you. I think some of there's a disconnect here and i think some of it can or a lot of it can be described in how we read the bible differently mm-hmm. i feel like open open relational theologians and i've i include myself not as an open relational theologian but somebody that looks at more at the big picture and mm-hmm. whereas scott's very concerned with particulars if there's a particular example of something in the bible that is just as true as any other particular example in the bible Whereas I I don't hold to any sort of inerrancy is not a thing that I want to defend or think is defendable in the Bible. Whereas Scott probably holds to some sort of inerrancy. And so I think there's two different conversations. Like if it says it in the Bible, then it has to be true. Explain that open theologian. Whereas, Mm -hmm. you know, from my perspective, like, yeah, it does say God is wrath. Which one's more true? The definition of a God by love and does that fit in with the definition of wrath that you're using, Scott? I don't think it does, personally. But so you have to do this, this weighing match. I'm I'm like weighing a scale. If you, people can't see this, but I'm using my hands to make a scale. Mm-hmm. And so there's like there's two different conversations going on. I think. No, that, and that, that's oh, sorry, okay. And all of these things are worth unpacking and stuff. But I just want to make sure we keep it conversational and and uh, yeah.
1: No, no, and and that's a great point. And it goes to my my. Question I I posed at the beginning, if there was something that, as you're deconstructing, are you making the same errors? And so mm-hmm. as, as you're de- as you're trying to define what agape love means, are you considering the other passages that talk about God's characteristics and nature? And if and if mm-hmm. you're going to exclude those passages, no, I'm weighing it, I'm weighing it, one oh, I'm sorry, more Zach, than the I'm other. S- I'm sorry, Zach.
2: No, you're you're in, you're kind of fitting right into what I was saying. Is like the definition, I like think the, so. the Corinthians yeah, I passage think, about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. I
1: know, I, right, I get and, that. And I so get, but that's I'm, my point.
2: I'm not an I don't have to like have all the Bible know, be equally authoritative. I know, but
1: but I'm what I'm saying is that you can you cannot exclude passages that, and that's why I talked about the prophets of God, um, who are speak who are revealing who God is. If, if they say particular things, you can't exclude those. I'm not saying they're that it I'm not saying they're not
2: saying it.
0: We are talking. To ourselves right now, but I we've know. got a wonderful guest Thank on you. who
2: we. Uh,
4: so, okay. So, <laughs> like believe to talk it or not,
2: that's you. what I was trying to do is okay. ping
1: pong uh, I I have a question about Tom, the, the definition of love by Thomas J. Ord. Can which, you do which, it in 15 seconds which, yes, or less? Yes. Okay. So, Jonathan, so you, you brought up uh, Ord's definition of love, and he says to Ooh. act intentionally in relational Ooh. response to God and others, right? That's love. So, if God is love, And love is to act intent, right? But if love is to act intentionally, does that mean that if God does not act in the world, then He does not have love?
3: So, so the well-being piece was the was the third piece of it. So the question is, if God does not act intentionally, there is no love. I think God is always acting intentionally.
1: Yeah. It's in the how 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 yeah exactly yeah so Zach and I agree how how is God? <laughs> but acting we already to, just asked that you don't need to keep asking it.
3: So how does God, God act- intentionally acting? <laughs> I think um, it could be a variety of things, and some of which we're not even aware of. But you know, it might be in um, in through a relationship. It might be in creation itself. It might be in through a song. It might be in through an intuition. um,
4: Could it be be through miracles?
1: Could it be through miracles? Sure, it could be
3: through miracles. Absolutely. I I think we'd have to define, we'd have to define what miracles are. (laughs) And I think there's not a shared definition of a bunch of of all of us Christians, but yeah, I think God is constantly and continually lovingly acting. And my hope is that he'll never, or she'll never stop acting. That's my hope.
1: (laughs) Father, father, she. Yeah. Okay.
3: Well, the very first two verses of the Bible have a male gender and a female gender. And there's, there's a, there's a ton of female gender in the Bible. So I don't, I don't, I don't have a problem with that.
2: I got zero problem with that either.
1: Um, not surprising. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, I, I'll be honest like this. I, if I was forced to choose right now, like I'm big on, I don't knows right now. I've got a lot of yeah. I, don't I think knows. it's a good
3: place to be. Yeah,
2: and I and I'm learning that too. But also, it it adds frustration because I like thinking through things. And Scott's mm. one of my best friends, and he's he was there through my whole deconstruction, which included the burn all the shit down and uh, become like the worst kind of fun, fundamentalist in the opposite way. Mm-hmm. And so, okay. like, sort of like growing through that, and and part of the reason I grew th- for that is. That is that Scott had and I had such a history, and uh, and we were kind of testing each other. Iron sharpens iron or something, I think that's in the Bible, it's biblical, Scott. Eh,
1: If you want to go Bible or not,
2: (laughs) but uh, but ultimately, it's like it's leading to this point where I'm still like learning how to relearning how to pray, or like praying Mm -hmm. often feels silly when I do it in the old school way. Occasionally, I will kind of for poops and giggles, just to be like, let me let me massage that muscle a little bit. Let's see what comes of that. Because I am looking for this prayer, spiritual practice that I feel like I've been talking about for like three years now <laughs> that, and maybe that's the case I, I don't need to settle into something. I just need to, and I'm very comfortable with the idea of like, okay, if God is the love that is described in Corinthians that was displayed in, you know, maybe he, maybe God could have done something about Jesus going to the cross as Jesus says, if my kingdom was of this world, you know, he could f- send all million like sure. hellcat, helicopter, angel things. Hellcats. Yes. It's an Eze- Dodge Eze- Hellcats. It's in Ezekiel. Come Dodge on. Dodge Hellcats. Um, but that God could have done that, but he didn't. God didn't because it, maybe it was God's nature that like, uh, I give myself up. And so... Ooh. Analysis. There's like there's like a lot of tension there because there's the Molinism stuff there. There's the plan from predeterminism. And then there's also the the open and relational theology. They all have ways to interpret the cross, mm-hmm. which is my personal, the, the, the most impactful thing for me is the God that gives himself up at the cross. Mm-hmm. And so I just, that's a hell of a word salad, but I just want you to know, that's kind of where I'm coming from in that I see the granularity I'm I'm more of a big picture guy. I see I see this so, arc versus the granularity, but I also understand the granularity of, of the Scooter Holberts. And that's and <laughs> that's that's totally fair. And
0: the reason why I gravitate more towards a God won't versus a God can't is because a God can't is wholly deterministic and you talked about there being no risk in a God can't version. There is no risk because there is no option for God to do otherwise. Or it's all risk. Well, it, it isn't, he has nothing, he, He's his hands are tied. So what is the risk? It doesn't matter.
2: Well, it goes back to, I'm, I'm curious, the miracles no. you, Jonathan, you Wait, said-
0: You bypassed my comment. Oh,
2: sorry. <laughs> well, well, I thought I was going to piggyback that you said that God acts through miracles. You're open to that. And that's tied into what God can or can't do. Mm, I'm curious as the-
0: Kind more. of, kind of. But it, it, if the ultimate is God is love and, or God can't do anything beyond love. Right or uh, uh, whichever definition we're going to use of love right now,
3: but well, God can't control
0: God can't control that's let let's just pick that one that that's the easiest okay. right God can't control okay. versus, easiest and the hardest versus God won't control <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so and so that's the one like you said in a deterministic future or a non-deterministic future there there is risk involved right, right. God God doesn't know the future, there's total risk involved and and love, I think you tied that to like love requiring risk being involved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But but in when you are forcing God's hand and saying that there are no options for God, then risk is actually there is no risk because that is deterministic. Does it make sense?
3: Yeah, I could see how you say that. And and I want to say too that that these are yeah, these are really challenging concepts. And the idea that God can't or God won't, uh even in open and relational circles, you know, yeah. I don't know what the percentage is, but there are people that land in both camps. There are problems with both camps. Uh, and right. I, I think that, that we could all say that we could agree on that. And so sometimes uh, when I land on something, actually I'm more landing. I'm in the process. And to the point you've already made, I, I think I don't know. Sometimes it's probably the best way. And I'm cool with that because I don't think, Man. I think this whole thing is in process. The whole, this whole thing is because it's in relationship, you know, I'm, I'm open to the possibility of where it might go in the future. Yeah. I have a problem with God uh, won't, and that God chose to, like, maybe say self limit. Sometimes people will use that language sure. um, because then it's possible for God at some point to. Uh, well, there's two things. Number one, it, it opens the door for God to say, well, then I, I don't self limit anymore and I'm going to get involved here. There's no clear way to understand where the line is drawn, which is leads to my second point. Where's, where's the line drawn of why he limited himself in certain areas and not other areas. It becomes, becomes very problematic for me to try to discern what kind of God I have and how I'm supposed to relate to this God. It feels more capricious. And, um, whereas if I say God is love and I can begin to unpack and try to define Mm -hmm. what I think about love, which is non-binary, non-scapegoating, non-violent, it's continually working it's in relationship with others. It's in relationship with the cosmos and it's for well-being. It gives me a sense of hope that uh, even though God can't single-handedly change things, that love is still the strongest agent in the world. Love is still stronger than wrath. Love is still stronger than uh, punishment or, or the definitions of holiness. And it helps me reassemble all those things in light of what I think the best and the truest thing that might be said about God is
1: no, would you Now you said, I'm not
3: sure that I, that I answered the question.
1: It, it, it did. I think
0: if you believe that God instituting or allowing free will is his greatest act mm-hmm. of love for humanity, then in my mind, it helps justify a lot of where I land in terms of Molinism. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, the act of love can be allowing you to do something <laughs> it gives it gives you the freedom the free will to do something that is outside of god's will
1: even if it's detrimental
3: mm-hmm.
1: yes easy. Sure. that's I that's the easy one right yeah i
3: think love does that i think love consents to our detrimental choices yeah
0: for sure because because of uh it places it places free will above the need to control right
3: yeah, because a controlling person isn't loving. I don't even yeah. like.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, in a, in as adults and now as a, as I'm not a parent that I know of, but as parents, <laughs> as parents, you might there might be circumstances where he contro- was in the army overseas. <laughs> where, where <laughs> uh, as as a parent, uh, there might be circumstances where controlling your kids against their will is is the more loving thing to do, but. Um if when you when you said that loving is stronger than wrath are does that mean that love precludes wrath that the wrath is not a possibility because love is stronger than wrath He answered that, that one earlier though. Yeah, he I've said, already said that. But he said it, he yeah, said he said that wrath
0: is basically giving people over to the natural consequences I, of their actions, right? Right
1: right, but 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 what there's a the judgment after this life though. I
3: think the judgment's already been rendered. It's a judgment of love. I think it's been going on for all time and it will continue to go on for all time. Okay. But
1: what is that? What is a judgment of love? What does that mean?
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a judgment of love. That's there's this intentional, merciful, gracious movement. Uh, this, this, uh, in relationship with others is a big piece of it because it's not a controlling thing. So it's always in relationship and it's for our well being. I don't know why you smile at me sarcastically when I'm saying these things. Like I've just spent the last three years working through this, and it feels like I'm I'm having to argue with you uh, about God being love. Like this is the most this is the most beautiful, uh, um, treasured thing in 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 humanity. Wrath is not the most beautiful thing in all I, of humanity, and I, 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 we can I talk about wrath you. in the context of love. Love I, is I, a I, relational, yeah. intentional movement of well-being. No, I, I think I, it's I, always been with us and it always will be with us. I, I agree with
1: you. That now, rabbis- what I
3: think you're doing is you're trying to pick, it's already been stated what you're doing. In terms of granularity, you're trying to pick certain parts of the Bible and hold everything equal as if this piece over here, it as if we were to take the words of Jesus and, and subordinate them to something that happened in the Old Testament or even the words of Paul. The words of Jesus clearly state, and tell us how to live, which is to move in relationship with people and to be in this movement of love. It's not to judge people. It's not to pursue wrath. It's not to try to define God in any other way other than this really beautiful way of
1: relationship Well, that's that, scott I, it sounds good i know i i know no scott it sounds i know
2: scott you want but, keep but go, jesus god jesus talks about i have about to go wrath. pick up a kid from i understand I, right we're, we're not debating all of i know i know but it's, scott, it's I, in
1: context though i understand of what he but we're said. out of time bro I,
2: we're, I, we're running a podcast this isn't right. like a debate where we keep
1: going i, I know i'm not a child I, but i know i know but you're maybe we should <laughs> just jump
3: to maybe we should jump to mimetic theory i don't even know if we have time yeah at yeah, let well, skip the Jesus about. You, I'm
2: happy part. to let you guys go as long as you want and, and that as long as time Jonathan allows. I have to pick up a daughter from soccer <laughs> in about 15 minutes. Um but I I will say to that last exchange is is that Jesus says be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect in the context of a string of how we are to love our enemies to to pray for our persecutors. Mm-hmm. And that's how Jesus caps it off as be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Also, I believe it says somewhere that Jesus is the lamb of God of God, uh, crucified since the foundation of, I don't know if it's earth or universe, but regardless that, what if that were true? What if Jesus has always been crucified? And yes, there's this moment where it happens to display it to humanity, but there's this big picture of how God has always been and he's just taking us through it in the Bible, and that's the most attractive thing to me. As we get to this God that calls us to be better, it's almost always harder than we want it to be. Jesus makes things harder to love people mm-hmm. in in a lot of those circumstances, with you know, marriage and relationships. For God's sake,s like loving your enemies, as your you know, you know, it's anyone can love somebody that they're down with or they're they're friends with, mm-hmm. but you're you're to go beyond that, which is yeah. harder but yeah. that's what Jesus did. And I believe that's what God is. And I believe that's the definition of love. And I know you can, we can get caught up in a million things that are worth talking about, but we don't have time for all of it right now, Scott. So, but I appreciate you, Jonathan, if you guys want to keep going like Jonathan, we, could, we want to respect your time, but I'm going to have to leave Zach, in about five, I 10 will, minutes. Uh, you
4: know what? I now have the capacity for at least 10 minutes. Wow, well, I was just going to say, we could also do,
2: we could do a second episode. We could do a follow-up
0: episode. We're running out of time, and <laughs> I think if Jonathan
2: good... wants
1: to wants to put up with this again, <laughs> put up with Scott. I mean, he wants to put up with Scott. That's why I'm not married. I didn't say that. Uh, I said it. I'm not blaming anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not scapegoating anybody. Hey, so, hey, I, be, what it's
2: you guys, go ahead, Jonathan. He was going to say it's your podcast. Well, whatever so if you want to keep guys, me around
4: or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's your podcast. I, I do. I'm. I'm 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 glad that I came in here at the end to in because i've been wandering around the word love and and relationships, and ultimately I think love you could put vulnerability in its place like i'm vulnerable to this woman i'm vulnerable to my people i'm like i'm to say I love my people i'm creating humans i'm they're they're vulnerable. And and to say that, you know, even your dissertation, you know, you're vulnerable, but you're putting yourself out there, um, you know, out of a love for for Christ or whatever it might be. But I think there is is vulnerability is always at the foundation of love that you and it's all risk. You're risking everything in hope for you know. For there to be some return on your investment, um, not that you have to have it, but you're putting it out there, and I think that's what God does. I think that's what Jesus did, and yeah. I, I I'm just I, I, that's I a, that's nice. Appreciate, I appreciate you know the conversation, even though I heard, I just really sat back as a a passenger <laughs> um, in the back here, but I a I really passenger, yeah, I really appreciate. Um, you know, the the conversation because it clarifies a whole lot for me. It seems, you know, it's a little bit of an epiphany for me to sit here and listen to the conversation, and I uh, appreciate it. Uh, Thank Love, you. love Thank you. is vulnerable. That's God, true. and I, I know it opens up a can of worms, but I think it does. God, God is vulnerable, mm-hmm. um, but. That doesn't mean the vulnerable that we think of like we can crucify God. I think He lays everything out there. Or well, it might
3: mean His weakness is stronger than our strength.
4: A hundred percent. Yeah. That vulnerability is the strength. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's a different kind of power. It's a relational power versus an authoritative power. It's, a, I'm not sure what's going to happen in the future. By the way, I'm not saying. I think God's got a pretty good idea of how certain things are going to go. Uh, You know, I mean, obviously there are patterns in the world and God knows those better than I do. But, um, but when there's risk involved and vulnerability and what I heard you saying there, it also reminded me of, yeah, that actually might make you work even harder when there's more risk uh, than if you, I mean, actually, I do think that that is true than if there is no risk. Because there's there's something on the line. There's something on the line.
4: yeah. Yeah. And and when you're trying to
3: control God's choices matter. Yeah.
4: When you try and control things, like that's why God right. doesn't try and control things because nothing can flourish from control. There's exponential mm-hmm. there's exponential power and growth in like here's where God here's where God has laid this path and if you're willing to go on it, you're going to make mistakes, but you can flourish in there you're going to fall but i'll pick you back up and things are going to be vulnerable but that's Mm -hmm. where the greatness is in growth and furthering the kingdom
3: Mm -hmm. that's good should take an offering
4: (laughs) (laughs) well it brings us to our patreon i'm just kidding we don't have
2: a patreon Uh, all
3: right this is good i've I have
0: a sneaking suspicion we're going to do another episode because there's still stuff left on the table and it's worth digging into, <laughs> but this is a good jumping off point. And so, um, Jonathan, tell us the name of the book one more time.
3: Sure. Theology of Consent, The medic Theory in an Open and Relational Universe. Awesome.
0: Okay. And then and I'm assuming people can get it in all the normal places where
3: they purchase books. That's right. All the normal places. But it'll be available.
2: And okay. JonathanFosterOnline.com, correct? Yes, sir. That's right. JonathanFosterOnline.com. You've got a decent blog there you you post Thank you.
3: on. Thank you. That's right. Do you, do you
0: take and receive comments and do you respond to them on your blog?
3: I do, but you guys probably know how it is. Half the time you get comments. I mean, there's so many different mediums now. I'll blog something and someone will text me and I'll be <laughs> yeah. like, "Why don't you? why don't you put it on the blog? You know, or... I'll post I a know. blog on a Facebook and then you get nine comments there. So I, it, it's all, it's a bit maddening. So I, I know exactly yeah, I do respond. Mean.
0: All right. Zach's got to yeah. get out of here. Thank you, listener. Uh, thank you, Jonathan, for joining us today. Thank you. Like for, you said, listener. I know. I, I was true. Thank you. Listener, listeners. Listener. But then I wanted to <laughs> listeners, but if thank you, you Jonathan, for joining the, us. You know, specific uh, about and you. Thank you for hammering out some really challenging topics. But I think that's That's good, and hopefully we can revisit a few of these that we left on the table.
2: I think that's a beautiful thing about this this podcast, and there's probably others that do it. But so many of things these days are like isolated, and like we agree with each other and nobody else, and everyone's echo chamber. But so I really appreciate you hanging in. Like obviously, you know, we're all going to disagree about some things, and some things more than others, and that was apparent. But I appreciate you you hanging in there.
0: We all probably disagree about more than we actually realize uh okay listeners if you want to get in touch with us bros bibles beer at gmail.com instagram all the socials at bros bibles beer uh scott as bro bros bible beer if you are single and your theology is accurate
2: yes you can date him and uh if you want to l- knock down drag out fight with a, a lady oh, scott man. at bros beer no, Scott at... Yeah.
1: Isn't that it, how most marriages end com. up anyways?
2: And
0: and lastly, if you... We really... Two things. Please, if you like this podcast, share it with a, one friend this week. And we want to hear from you on the voicemails, which is at...
1: Anchor FM.
0: Anchor.fm slash B pod. There's a button on there and you can press it. Jonathan, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. And hopefully uh, we'll you. get you again on very soon because like I said yeah
2: I, I
3: love all these cans of worms man <laughs> there's
1: so many cans of worms That's what and, they are.
3: lots yeah. of them i
1: i definitely have questions and or statements <laughs> <laughs> yeah